from WJFF Radio Catskill, this is Close to Home, the podcast that explores the people, issues, and institutions in the Catskill Mountains, the heart of small-town America. I'm your host, Leif Johansson. Thanks for tuning in. One of the things that struck me in the last episode we did about the opioid epidemic in upstate New York was how everyone we heard from, even though they were from different backgrounds and they had different relationships with the opioid epidemic, they all agreed that even though there isn't a silver bullet to the problem, our education system needs to be a major part of the solution. Here is New York State Assemblywoman Aileen Gunther again. You know, there's not a gym open. And if there is a gym open, people can't afford it. You know, that's why we sent, started the rec center in Monticello. But this year it's closed again. We were able to start that. And we had a lot of wraparound services and place to go till eight, seven or eight o'clock at night so that kids would be safe. And in our schools, we have no social workers. You know, we used to have, you know, a psychologist in the school. But we need those kinds of things in these schools. The nurse is important and social workers are important to have in there. You know, a lot of places like in Buffalo, they do have wraparound services in the schools, but they kind of pick and choose the areas where they are. But all kids need that help. Whether you come from a wealthy school district, it doesn't mean that you don't need the same kind of um, education. Now, Aileen and others did talk about how we need to improve our curriculum about drugs and addiction, but in that bit there, Aileen talked about something called wraparound services, and that is what I want to focus on today. Now, what exactly does that mean? I had a hard time finding a single definition, but the term usually refers to a more holistic way of providing a broad range of services to a child. The idea is that any given young person needs access to lots of different resources in order to be successful later in life. They need a cohesive, supportive family. They need good nutrition. They need an education that fits the way they learn. And of course, the list goes on and on. And obviously, that looks different for every child. Some need additional psychological, medical, or educational services, particularly if they experienced childhood trauma or they have a disability. Now, most of the time, all of these services are separate. There's a lack of coordination between them, and as a result, we end up with an access problem. Way too many kids fall through the cracks, and they don't get connected with the slate of services and resources that are needed to make them successful. Now, you probably see where this is going. Wraparound services are the opposite of that. They're called wraparound services because multiple different resources that serve the different needs of a child will coordinate together to sort of metaphorically wrap their arms around the child and make sure that all of his or her unique needs are being met and ensuring that they have a fair shot of becoming the best version of themselves as adults. This method of administering services to young people was sort of the basis for community schools. And you can probably tell why just from the name. Community schools try to take that old proverb, it takes a village to raise a child, and make it a concrete reality for students. A community school will work to centralize lots of different social, educational, vocational, 
psychological, medical, and family services, among others, under one roof, the schools. Now, if you're like me, and you went to a relatively standard public school, you probably had access to a nurse's office, a school library, a gym, and a handful of after-school activities. If you think about it, those services are normally ones you'd find spread all over your town, but they've been centralized at the school. Why? It's the cost and the convenience factor. Particularly if you're from a poorer household, maybe with one car, maybe with no car at all, you are way more likely to see the nurse or get a dental checkup if those services are right down the hall from your classroom. In fact, modern elementary school dental services are a major factor in why younger generations today tend to have pretty healthy teeth. This stuff works. But imagine taking that to the next level and making available a broader slate of resources, interventions, and services to kids in school. And that's what I'm going to talk about with my guest today. He's the superintendent of the enlarged city school district of Middletown, Richard Del Moro. Superintendent Del Moro has only been in his current position for a few years, but he's been a senior administrator at the Middletown School District for a long time, and he's been working on a project to turn a struggling public school system into a vibrant center of community support and wraparound services since 2004. Now, if you're not familiar with the area, Middletown is in the northern part of Orange County, New York, around 20 miles south of Sullivan County. There's been a long-standing school of thought that schools are primarily to educate the child in the social, emotional, and academic growth. And uh, the systems uh, that have been uh, created over many, many years um, in public education was to do that, that for what purpose was to have an informed, minimally informed in society so that they could make informed decisions in particular because of our democratic process. I mean, basically, um, that's how um, the public school concept came into being. Of course, it's nurtured over, uh, you know, many decades to the point of where we are today, which is more very, very different from that sole purpose. Not to say that that no longer exists, but there are other issues that impact that learning and growth. And basically, uh, slowly but surely, over probably the last 25 years, um, schools have started to understand that, especially in communities where there's high poverty, um, high uh, at-risk populations, um, uh, immigration pockets that um, outgrow the, or outnumber, I should say, the indigenous people in a particular community that impact what, uh, impact what you need to accomplish social, emotional, and academic growth. So schools have, in such as Middletown or other school districts have realized, wait a minute here, in order for me to accomplish this, are, are the kids coming in to school, whether coming into kindergarten for the first time or entering 12th grade, do they have these, um, how should we say, prerequisite safeguards in order to be successful in school. Mm. So when you look at a school district like uh, Middletown, uh, and Dr. Eastwood was a big proponent of this, uh, I was uh, the assistant superintendent under that and uh, had my thumb in all of those pies as we uh, 
really work together to create what we have today and build it upon what we have today. Because, you know, if you're not moving forward, you are moving backwards. And certainly uh, today, let's just talk about pre-COVID, all right, if I can disseminate a, a line of demarcation. Yeah. I'll get into what impact COVID has had. But pre-COVID that you mentioned is so critical uh, to providing uh, the students in, in communities such as Middletown with services that make them uh, feel good about themselves and the fact that how is the family impacted by all of this? And there lies the essence of what we talked about wraparound services. For example, we uh, were very fortunate to be one of 16 school districts during the time of Dr. Eastwood's superintendency to uh, be selected as a ratio top. And what uh, Assemblywoman Gunther did observe and see was a whole video that we did about we had our school personnel uh, washing clothes. We had our washing machines in the in the in the uh, in the schools. And why is that? Because if I am a student that the parents don't have the affordability to go down to the local laundromat and have clean clothes, I'm not going to want to come to school and realize that other children who have clean clothes are gonna look at me differently. I don't wanna feel that way. So how do we eradicate that? Clean their clothes. We realized that when we started to address those chip at a time, that students started to realize that, hey, I can compete, if you will, academically and socially and emotionally, if I have these issues that level the playing field, so to speak. And so the other pieces is, you know, uh, 80% of our student population are eligible for free and reduced. Wow. 80% of our student population is minority. So we are majority minority school district. Hmm. All right. So those factors in the nation, when you look at the data, indicate that that particular student body is not going to fare well. So what do we have to do to provide that level playing field? Well, we started to decide that some of our children need the gift of time. So we decided to initiate a, uh, identifying during kindergarten screening through multiple assessments who needed an extra year to our, uh, we created a two year kindergarten program. And in that program, right, we have health services come in. We partnered with, here you go with wraparound services. Um, we partnered with uh, local health agencies to provide dental work. So we have their van, Cornerstone has been a great partner for pre-COVID. Yeah, they came over here and provided uh, annually the flu vaccinations and things like that. And now of course the uh, Moderna or, or Johnson & Johnson or Pfizer, whatever we need there. But pre-COVID they came in and provided uh, dental services or health services, medical services. So our many of our parents can't afford those. They don't. They have employment that does not have medical insurance. So therefore, what if I'm not feeling well? If I can do, I don't come to school. And one thing we cannot do in Middletown, and I, I challenge anyone, I can't help children who are not here. So therefore, my goal is to get them here as much as possible. 
and they and they respond to that. So we provide, we work very closely. Orange County uh, has a robust <clears throat> services, community services for people. As I mentioned, Cornerstone, uh, you know, uh, comes in here with their van and, and parks outside the school. And we just hook up to electricity and they're self-sufficient. They have their own water and everything of that nature and provide the services for kids. We work with Cornell Cooperative Extension uh, in family. Uh, it's called uh, Strengthening Families, where they meet after school hours, a whole family. They have dinner and they do they separate uh, and they do counseling services for the children, for the parents, then for the parents and children together. And they have, you know, a, a, a workshop together. You know what what's 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 happening in your family what what is it that, that the dynamics of a family and support strengthening that family bonding we have um mental health the orange county department of mental health a great resource for us what have they done to that effect i can say that let me give you an example we have we all schools have school counselors you've had them to do your grades and your scheduling and things like that and they're there to provide school-based counseling. But if there's an issue that affects outside of school, that affects the individual coming to school, they don't get into that. So in the previous years, they would make referrals to private, let's say, counselors. Well, our again, economics prevents that for many of our families. So we partnered uh, with a program with the Orange County Department of Mental Health to have a counselor, a, a clinician, come in and do clinical counseling which means outside of the school. And so that we said, yes, we've partnered with them and said, we'll do that and have an office for this person to come in to work with the uh, individual student, but also families after hours and even on Saturday. Whole different concept because if the dynamic or the issue is outside of the school-based issue, now we can have that addressed. And why is that important to us? Well, because that impacts the child from attending school. Now we're all into the COVID situation where everyone is talking about trauma. So we have provided services such as I've hired crisis interventionists and social workers and support personnel to deal with the anxiety. Many of our families uh, have lost employment. Can you imagine the trauma of not knowing when the next meal is going to be. So what did we do? We partnered with the federal government. We have, I know this is going to blow your mind. We have served over since March 18th of 20 of last year to now over 3 million meals. Holy to cow. Our, to our community, right? We, we're partnered with the federal government. Is that, uh, and anyone, that's not just students. That's anyone all over the Middletown community. Anybody that comes in 18 or on the, you know, we don't check IDs, but, you know, obviously you can more or less guess somebody who might be some of, of dinosaur age of like me may can't pass for that. But we give our families, they come in and they say, I have three or four children. They have food for a week at a time, three days at a time, milk, all nourishing foods, um, foods that they can prepare, some they can serve right away. Uh, because why? A hungry child is not going to be a child that is receptive to learning. Yeah. Right? Then we talked about all this remote learning, right, that's going on. Well, do you think parents can afford Wi-Fi at home? So we purchased MyFi's my for them hmm. so that they can have 
the connectivity and the continuity of learning, even though they may not have in their own household. We have a one-to-one -one initiative, kindergarten through 12th grade, all get their own Chromebook. It, it sounds like what you're saying is that all of this, all over the spectrum here is still completely, you know, right down the middle of the road in terms of the mission of a school where you can point to any number of these interventions and say, this actually is directly related to making sure that children are getting a good education, that they're able to, they're confident in showing up and that they, you know, are, are ready to learn. Yeah, they have to feel good about themselves. So whether it's the clothes on their back, whether it's the food in their tummies, whether it's their mind feeling at peace because of all of the anxiety that may be uh, at, in their home environment because hmm. of all of the situations beyond their control, all right? We're trying to, at best, provide for them a safe and, and, and quiet learning environment, uh, a supportive learning environment. And we've done a, a great deal of work with our teachers on trauma and anxiety. Uh, you know, we do uh, the adult uh, childhood experiences that may not be positive, ACEs. We, we have done a great deal of work with that. We have done a great deal of work with our staff in that we continue to do that. You have to think beyond the immediacy of all of this. And these are investments so that we don't have to have all these intervention programs as they go through the school year. And people don't realize the ramifications of all of these in an economic sense. Yes, you're putting more money up front for li lifelong learning, for what happens to the student after graduation day. It, it seems like a lot of these interventions are based on an understanding of how children are motivated and how children learn and the kind of psychology and theory behind all of this. And, you know, when we look at other school districts throughout our region, but also across the country as well, who don't seem to have, you know, not even close to the, the comprehensiveness of services and, you know, it's something we talked about on, on the phone last week was, you know, budget is a part of that, but it seems like there's also a, a lot of stuff where even if you don't have a really sizable budget and a lot of resources to work off of, the, the mindset of, you know, how you kind of set up a school in an educational, a public educational system seems to not necessarily always be uh, coupled with where the science is at and where the understanding of how children are motivated to learn is at. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on, first of all, how Middletown got kind of got to that point where you seem to you know make a decision like we're, we're going to follow the science and we're going to make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep up with the understanding of how it is that children are motivated. And why it is that other districts maybe aren't as focused on that. And, and I, I don't mean that in a negative way necessarily, but more like how can other districts, you know, put a greater focus on that? I certainly don't want to be presumptuous and assume why a district puts uh, emphasis on one thing and not another. Uh, every community is very different. Every community has different needs uh, and resources. But let's take away for a second the 
amount of staff that we've hired in this arena. Now, there's two major domains in every learning um, environment. There's the effective domain and the cognitive domain. And many of these support services are in the effective domain. What affects a child, right? And all of these uh, agencies that I talked about, they don't charge us a fee to partner with. So, you know, did we all know that Orange County Youth Bureau, uh, Big Brothers of uh, and Sisters, Cornell Cooperative, Middletown Rex and Department, Middletown Recreational Center, YMCA, Access Urgent Care, <laughs> ESSA Services, and on and on and on and on, all in Orange County, are we utilizing all of these? So I, I would ask myself if I was in a school district that may not have all of these services connected to us, uh, what do I need? What do I assess? What can we afford? Obviously, this is over a period of time, as I mentioned, from 2004, right. right? All right, that's a period of time. You know, it's about 15, 16, 17 years, right? That we've been working on this and we chipping away, chipping away. And believe us, we still have issues in our school district. I would be less than honest or transparent to say we don't have any major issues. But when you start to explain to parents, because not every minute, for every parent is so welcome in all these services for a myriad of reasons, all right? But we have to understand our community and what their needs are. And we need to provide these because many of our homes, not all of them, are not rich print environments. They are living in an apartment that might have several extended families live with them. They may not have a quiet room to go do your homework. So are they doing their work, their follow-up work, maybe on the kitchen table or maybe in, in the living room where the TV is on? So what can we provide and that extend that so that child doesn't feel uh, unprepared to come to school the next day? Because are they going to involve themselves? So then you say what I was mentioning before. Yes, there might be more upfront money in terms of, oh, now I have to hire another teacher because little Richard is, is unable to read. So I have to hire an academic intervention service teacher for reading. Well, that costs me money, right? But if I'm providing the services upfront and help them uh, sound recognition, letter recognition at the early grades, I may not need all those academic intervention teachers later on. You were thrown into, and this is, you know, obviously totally a hypothetical, but if, if you were oh, thrown... You get me in trouble with hypothetics. <laughs> if you were thrown into a smaller, more rural school district, and, you know, it's a school that obviously is in a community that has less of these community resources around it, but the school, you know, when you step in, you see that the school maybe isn't really... Uh, making a lot of connections at all throughout the other community resources that do exist. What would be on your day one, two, and three kind of uh, major things that you'd 
want to try to look at and say, here's where we need to be going and here's some of the connections we need to be making? Well, the first thing I would do, it, it would call members from each one of the school buildings, not only the administrators, but the teachers. Hmm. I mean, let's face it, the most important people in any school district, in my belief, is the classroom practitioner. They are meeting with the children daily. Yes, the administration is the instructional uh, programmer, the leader of that, absolutely very critical. But we have to access what the teachers know and what they experience. So I would get in key leaders from all of the buildings and say, tell me what you believe is a major, give me the top three reasons why you feel your students aren't performing because I know you're doing your best, right? And then from there, determine what those needs are and then find out and prioritize those needs and then make the connections to whatever resources I have in the community. And if I don't, what could we do in our district to effectuate that need within our even limited budget? Remember, this did not happen. All of these things that I mentioned that we partnered with didn't happen in the first year. Right. So incrementally, so then you say, okay, what do we need the most? What is our most significant issue? Prioritize them. And who can help us? And if we can't get the help, maybe I can get some help in here, but I got a partner with over here. And look at some of our funding that we have district-wide. I understand that um, so, you know, obviously each district has different amount of money um, allocated to them. And in a, in a rural area, the Avalorum tax or the school taxes can only you know, be uh, an issue to a certain extent. So yes, I have to live within my means, but what, what can I do in prioritizing my needs by first find out what are those needs? If to say, I wanna go get old mental health issues, well, that might not be our main issue right now. Right. It may be more physical here. So what do I need to do about that? So that's what I would do. Um, last question for you, and then, then I'll, I'll let you get back to your, your important superintendent duties. It's, it's another hypothetical, so I apologize. Um, you suddenly become a, a benevolent dictator, and you have all of the uh, resources and, and funding in the world to uh, create and, and, and manage our education system and kind of shape it however you want. What are going to be some of the major investments that you as world education dictator uh, would make? I would um, look at our pre-service programs, which are uh, college preparatory or university preparatory courses that want to get into the field of education. We all know that there is a understanding that teaching is one of the most noblest of professions. But today is very different needs as we've been talking about for you know 30, 40 minutes now. It's just the scratch of the uh, surface of what uh, people have to be prepared in terms of really getting into the classroom and seeing beyond what is in a teacher's manual or a course syllabi or curricula. Because in order to teach that, you have to have a connection to your child because you can have all of the knowledge, right? How are you able to impart that knowledge? You have to make connections. So I think when we start to look at preparatory programs, yes, you have to do the cognitive, you have to do the curricular areas, absolutely. 
But how do you make those connections? So I think there has to be more work done in the area of mental health and preparing uh, our new um, workforce as they enter into the programs. Because as we are seeing, at least coming into our school district, we have to do a great deal of work in professional development when we get here, which is fine. But can we augment that if it's done preliminarily at the pre-service level, which we're not seeing very much of that happening. So if I had the the, uh, the where to all and uh, an unending um, amount of money to do, that's where I would start to make those changes. And then at the school district level is to spend a great deal of time in more professional development in this area, because most of the time, teachers who get into the profession understand the content, whether it's at the K-5 arena where they're more of a generalist in all of the areas, they teach all the subjects, as they become more specialized in the content area in grades six to 12, right? Uh, most physics teachers know physics, but are they able to relate so that you would want more than just one section of physics? You want 10 sections of physics because everybody wants to be in Mr. Johansson's physics class. Why? Because he makes it relevant and authentic. I don't want to offer too much of a conclusion here because this episode is going to be the first of a few on wraparound services and community schools. But I will say that yes, Middletown has more resources than Sullivan County's smaller and more rural school districts. But something that struck me about what Superintendent Del Moro was saying was that building partnerships with organizations and services in a community doesn't necessarily require a major financial commitment. More than that, it just takes time and energy, and it starts with identifying what exactly students need to bring out the best in them. If you don't know what the problem is you're trying to tackle, any hope of solving it is essentially out of the question. There often seems to be a sense among many schools that they should be inaccessible unless you are a student or a staff member there. Schools, of course, make it difficult to enter and get involved for outside parties because of safety concerns. And that's understandable. We have had too many incidents in this country when student safety was compromised. But to me, it feels like that attitude of suspicion toward the rest of the community might come with some unintended consequences. Students might miss out on opportunities to get involved in their community, and they might not get access to services that allow and encourage them to excel in their studies. But like I said, we will pick this conversation up again in the coming weeks. Until then, thank you so much to Superintendent Richard Del Moro for speaking with us, and as always, thank you for listening. I'm Leif Johansson, this is Close to Home, and you're listening to WJFF Radio Catskill. See you next week. (music) 